Hello, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week, you know, we're going to wish you a very happy new year with tidings of goals and Geisterspiele, unfortunately. With me this week to get into that Bundesliga spirit is a familiar face, voice, to listeners of Talking Fußball Extra Aufstieg edition. It's tactical analyst and consultant Jasmine Baba. Really glad to bring you over to the top flight side of things for a change. I've been promoted, like hopefully Darmstadt will by the end of the season. Nice, nice. Well, if, if, <laughs> if that happens, you know, you, you got to stick around by all means. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here and talk about Bundesliga things, even though we've just got the Rückrunder started. Um, I wonder how, how exciting the second half of the season is going to be. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to talk through some of the stranger phenomenon of what's been going on in the Bundesliga. The way the table is shaping up here just over halfway through the season. You know, we'll have lots of discussion about that, about other storylines coming up of uh, match day 18. And, eh, you know, all the things to come out of the Rückrunden Auftakt. But, um, you know, while I have you here, folks, please do subscribe to the pod wherever you get your pods. Leave us a five-star rating. That does help us a lot. Tell a friend if you like, and do consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. Our Scandal series continues over there. We're going to be with uh, part four this week, where you can learn about all the biggest scandals to have hit the Bundesliga in its five decades plus history. So, yeah, bis gleich. Okay, let's get started with part one of Talking Foosball Direct. You know, the way we usually put this show together, we start with the best of the match day just gone. I think it's pretty clear at this point who's the best in the Bundesliga. They may have lost this weekend, and the team in second place may have won, narrowing that gap to just six points. But it is fair to say that Bayern and, to a lesser extent, Dortmund are the class of the league. You just look at the table. That's the way it is. So we're going to talk about them first, and then we're going to kind of approach what's happening below them in, I don't know, uh, a somewhat more impressionistic way. But it's a lot to talk through. But let's start with Bayern and Dortmund. So I have to say this was a little strange maybe even a little bittersweet, the restart of the Bundesliga. We, of course, have a, a lot of COVID roiling through Germany, through many, many countries. So basically all the games, except for the ones held in Berlin, had nobody there. And a number of teams, Bayern most prominently, had a bunch of players missing. You had Manuel Neuer watching his team from the Maldives because he's basically quarantining there while on vacation. So there's a lot of funky stuff um, going on in the Bundesliga, but there were games. And Bayern and Mönchengladbach, just as they had at the beginning of, of the Hinrunde, they started off the Rückrunde as well. And, you know, if you remember... Back then, it was a 1-1 draw, which was uh, pretty surprising for everybody. This time, it was even more surprising. Bayern went down 2-1 at home to Gladbach after having taken the lead in the first half. I guess Bayern dropping points maybe isn't that big of a surprise, considering this is Gladbach that they're playing, and they were missing a bunch of good players. But the way that this game went down, in that, you know, Bayern looked like they hadn't missed too many tricks in the first 15, 20 minutes of this game. And then they just kind of fell off a cliff, right? Was that surprising? I wouldn't even say fallen off a cliff. It's, it's very weird that everything going into this game, they put on a quite a strong 11. And in, I don't mean by personnel, I mean by the fact they could match Garbach toe-to-toe. I think it was really hard for some of the players, especially the likes of Kimmich coming back into the squad his first game for a number of weeks after his COVID infection and kind of lung problems after that COVID infection to play not his usual position. Um, Sabitzer is left back. It, it was very strange for uh, Bayern Munich, but even though that it was strange they had a number of chances that they could have taken i just feel like i feel like now without 
Sane. I think Sane might be that kind of key piece for them more than anyone was. And it's a testament to Nagelsmann of how far he's developed Sane from kind of the poorer times at Man City. I feel like they missed that kind of someone who can shoot outside the box, create something out of nothing that we usually get from Müller and Lewandowski. And ultimately, I think Gladbach got just that tiniest bit lucky that all the life is not good as Neuer. And I think Neuer must have um, maybe kicked himself while watching in the Maldives. Or maybe not, because Maldives, to be stuck there while you have COVID is... Probably the luckiest COVID infection you're going to get. I know. I, I, I can't say I've ever had the pleasure of visiting the Maldives, but um, <laughs> it's on the list of places I think would be pretty great to go. Okay. Yeah, I, I, w- I would agree that Bayern were probably a little unfortunate to lose this game. They certainly could have drawn it or even won it had a few bounces gone their way. I wonder what you thought of some of the second-line players, both that were in the starting 11 and who who came on. You know, you mentioned that for the most part, it was a lot of familiar faces, not always in familiar places. <laughs> Marcel Sabitzer at left back, didn't seem to go all that well, didn't seem to like it that much. Uh, but Mark Roca, he has played a little more uh, this season, but is still not someone who you'd necessarily think of as as a first-team regular. Um, Malik Tillman, of course, this was his his Bayern, you know, full debut in a full Bundesliga game, I think. And then, you know, a whole host of <laughs> guys who looked like they're 14. But yeah, they're 16, trust us. Did anybody stand out as either being, you know, not sort of cowed by the moment or or maybe definitely cowed by the moment? I was quite impressed with Tillman. Um, I think given who's normally in that position, um, he did create a chance for Lewandowski, which, you know, on a better day, Lewandowski probably could have scored in the second half. I think Rocker is probably just a little bit out of his depth. I think when we saw Tolisso come in with Musiala, that actually worked quite well. It was quite a balanced um, double pivot, uh, still progressed the ball quite well. And Rocket doesn't, probably because there's not someone as strong next to him, such as um, Leon Gavetska or Yosua Kimmich in that double pivot, and you're relying on Musiala instead, it's probably not as balanced, but Musiala is just far more talented and it looked just a little bit deer in headlights at time, especially trying to defend and especially in the rest of the tide again. Um, so I think that is definitely one. The others that came on, Vanna and Capado, probably not enough time to actually say. Um, but Vanna looked, Vanna, there's been a lot of good words around Vanna and his play. So I would like to see more from him. Obviously, when are we going to see that more game time for him? Probably not for a while. But yeah, it was quite nice to see some um, academy students coming in for once. And I think on another day, if it, maybe if it wasn't Gladbach that has been quite a bogey team for Bayern Munich for quite some time, um, and also... Adi Hutter being a bogey manager for Julian Nagelsmann has been the only manager to win that many games against Nagelsmann. Um, we could have just seen a little bit more from the youth players. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I apologize to Malik Tillman. I sold him short. He has played two times, getting sort of garbage time minutes for for Bayern. In, in, I think he had 15 minutes and five minutes in his previous uh, appearances. But yes, I, I thought he comported himself pretty well, despite the fact that he came off in the 75th minute for the aforementioned Lucas Capado. Your thoughts maybe a little bit about the fact that this game went ahead. I know that there were, you know, pretty clear issues of fairness at play in that, uh, as James and Flo mentioned on last week's Talking Football Fantasy, I mean, Mainz entered the season in an even worse bind in terms of players out for COVID quarantine or, you know, case issues on match day one of this season and still had to play and won against uh, Leipzig, if you remember. So it it would have been very hard for for the DFB to have really considered or, or 
you know, called this game off at the drop of a hat. But just taking maybe an even broader view of whether it makes sense to press ahead with the league in general, considering what's going on in Germany, considering that, you know, I think in seven of nine games, no one could go see them. And I found it a big bummer. I mean, especially after having gotten used to seeing fans at the stadiums again, my interest watching games this weekend was significantly lower in terms of feeling jazzed about these games. I don't know. How do you feel? Um, I'm probably going to be on the opposite side of the spectrum. I quite like no fans. I'm not like from an actual societal or economic point of view, but sure. yeah. um, in terms of actually being able to listen to the coaches and the players communicate, I always love that aspect and I always love to yeah. know what kind of sayings are going on. I like coaches shouting. There's something really, really um, interesting about that to me especially if they get in a bit of a flurry to some of their players. And I probably am on the other side of the spectrum with these games taking place. Compared to my home country back in the UK, um, I feel like things here are done a little bit better. It's The DFL ruling is quite strict, but it's consistent. And if the DFL does something like the Premier League, where it's more case-by-case rulings you suddenly have this whole backlog of games you say some clubs are saying oh this is unfair when because you don't know on what kind of aspects they've taken this ruling on and i think the only kind of difference that mines had from the beginning of the season and uh buy-in now is that buy-in actually couldn't call their under 23s because they were still on break so you could only get a few that were in training camps already in Spain, I think, which was the under-19s or the under-17s even. Hence why Paul Vanna was the second youngest player to play in the Bundesliga at something like 16 years and how many days? Only Yusuf Makoku. I think he's definitely the youngest-looking yeah, player absolutely. to have played in the Bundesliga. Uh, the youngest player was Yusuf Makoku at Dortmund. Um, yeah. So... I think if this had happened even a couple of weeks later, Bayern Munich would have been in a better place just because they could call on those under-23s. Because they weren't back yet, that was unavailable. And I think that was the kind of shred of why many people thought this game wouldn't get go ahead. I'm kind of glad it went ahead because I guess I'm glad for the Bayern Munich fans because... If this one had got postponed and they lost to Gladbach anyway, being their bogey team, it would have just been a waste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, at least, you know, you've tried a few new positions. Some of those players like Kimmich, especially Savitzer, um, I can't remember how long Gnabry was out or if he came back just before. And the likes of Rocket have got a bit of game time. Um, all the life as well would need some of that practice so it's probably better in the long run and we've seen with the likes of Mainz the likes of some clubs in the second Bundesliga I know it's going to work a little bit differently to the Omicron variant but we've seen clubs who've gotten infected earlier and especially with those that have already been vaccinated and hardly suffered any kind of bad effects from COVID haven't been re-affected further down the line and therefore go on better runs. If this affects other clubs down the line and Bayern's still in front, they won't be as scared because they know they won't be reinfected. So it's better to have an outbreak earlier in the grand scheme of things because now they'll be fine for six months and not be worried about that. One should hope, I guess. All right. I, 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 before we get too deep into uh, COVID land, although we can't really escape it at this point, I do want to talk a little bit about Dortmund's 3-2 comeback win over Eintracht Frankfurt. I feel like the, the, the most notable thing about this game, other than, than the late drama, considering Dortmund you know, got two goals in the last five minutes to win it, which... <laughs> That's a that's a pretty huge caveat. Uh, was seeing was seeing the uh, <laughs> all of the the narrative vehicles skidding into reverse 
on Twitter during this game. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, I wasn't doing a lot of posting at the time. So I, I, I guess I, I wasn't part of the, the, the crowd, but the crowd was large of people grousing about, you know, having seen Bayern lose on a Friday, then, then Dortmund, you know, have a chance to close the gap and they're blowing it. They're down 2-0 in the first half and, and, you know, are being more or less outplayed. But uh, that stuff changed. I don't want to say that this turned into necessarily a big building block of a positive game for Dortmund because, you know, as Mats Hummels put it, they play too many Wild West games at the moment. That's pretty, pretty, pretty well put, I would say, Mats. But I am still psyched that they were able to, um, you know, put a little less distance between them and the top of the table, even if it came at the expense of a team that I have a lot of time for, Eintracht Frankfurt, that I really enjoy watching. How are you feeling after this game? How I feel, I didn't feel anything. Um, (laughs) Not in a bad or good way. It's just one of those things that I couldn't actually figure out from a logical perspective. And after setting my time on it, I think I figured it out in the end. So, um... There were a lot of confusing things that happened in this game, mostly from Dortmund. Anyone who follows my work and follows my Twitter will know how much I kind of dissect Dortmund because they should be the second best team in the league. They should be close to Bayern. If we think about years before, and Bayern have never been this far ahead before for quite a while from my memory especially not in the last two seasons and this should have been the season that Dortmund really pushed if you've got a world-class player like Haaland like Bellingham there's not really much of an excuse and then you fall into these um oh I have to say it fall into this trap but I want to make a Kevin Trap joke so <laughs> The Kevin Traps. Are but coming. I think it's um, the trap who got trapped this uh, this weekend. Yeah, unfortunately so. But um, and as I was saying, you you fall into these kind of these rabbit holes of Dortmund and why they don't do well and why they pushed and you know you can argue that they haven't really invested in proper defense for how many years? They're playing uh, God knows how old Hummels who's if you even start to criticize who he is and how he plays you will get slated by all angles and i'm still not sure why because he's not the best performer and i feel like he could have been upgraded quite a while ago and then you've got the actual match itself (laughs) they played in a what i think is a 4-3-3 with marlin on the right which hasn't happened before and he was completely isolated completely invisible and i'm still shocked they won three two and i've I've tried to figure it out because for so long frankfurt looked dominant and i can pinpoint the time that frankfurt lost control of the game and it, they took off lindstrom yes but lindstrom way too early for me and that just completely upset the game then they also put on um, Hasebi for Kamada. Hasebi's 37, nearly 38. And I just don't feel like he's a fantastic player, but I don't feel that was the right time to make those changes. I think they went a bit too defensive. They allowed pressure on. And giving Dortmund the ball yet again in this match was a complete right decision because Dortmund cannot do much in possession. It takes them a very long time to get going in possession. We saw it in this match, what, 60th, 70th minute. By that time, Frankfurt could have easily been 3-0 up if it wasn't for really bad team management. So I think this just outlines the flaws of Dortmund, yet again, even if they did come back from 2-0 down. And you can see why Haaland, you will expect Haaland to leave this summer despite Dortmund saying oh we're good for him because it just doesn't make sense to me nothing in that club makes sense to me yep yep I worry not only I'm pretty much certain that Holland is going to want to get out of this club in the summer I'm starting to worry 
whether Jude Bellingham might not be starting to <laughs> explore his options in the summer as well. I mean, obviously, as an English player, you know, they all want to go back to England at some stage so they can, you know, bat their eyes at <laughs> Gareth Southgate. But, you know, if things continue to sort of be extremely erratic up and down and, you know, finish the season 10, 15 points behind Bayern, why would you want to stay? And they're already out of the Champions League. I think even six points is just too much compared to what it has been in the past to get them back in there. And it's just, there's too many fallacies. And, you know, when we were all joking when they were 2-0 down, I've probably put it, it's coming up to a year from when Marco Rosa was announced. It was around a year ago, probably early February. And I didn't think that was the right choice, depending on what Dortmund need or what they want. I'm not sure what they want, but I mean, Holland's left Marco Rosa once before. <laughs> You'll probably want to leave. I think that, that it's a good kind of um, prediction, a good kind of show of where he wants to move and how quickly he wants to move. And you're probably right about Bellingham too. We've seen Jaden Sancho make that move. I think, and you know, I, I can see Bellingham wanting that too. There's only so much Dortmund you can take, and especially if, if you're not qualifying for the round of 16, like they did last season. Yeah, their failure in the Champions League this season, I think, is uh, an underrated sign of the apocalypse for that team. I mean, they probably got the softest draw of anybody of the German teams this season, and they weren't up to it. Pretty, pretty, pretty bad. There's one more thing I wanted to ask you. Oh, since you mentioned that you've been, and I know I've, I've, I've seen you post, I've seen you talk. You're a, you're, you're a real Marco Rosa skeptic. Uh, I think a lot of others are coming around to your point of view. If you've been sort of uncertain about whether he was a good fit at Dortmund or maybe just a good fit anywhere if you think he's not up to much. What is a good fit for a club like Dortmund? This is a club that um, obviously lives on passion. It's a club that loves uh, to bring up young players. It's a club that likes to play attacking football. So, you know, there's a certain type of coach that they're just going to not like, you know, I remember when they had Peter Stöger, you were like, ah, this is never going to last. Even though he was an interim coach, we know this, but like it always felt kind of, kind of gross. <laughs> Even at the time, I was like, this is not right. Is there a right, coach for them in your mind? Somebody either either within the Germanosphere or even if they might want to look further afield? I think I, I my mind went blank as it always does to these questions because I like to actually study and sit. But, and I don't want anyone to laugh at me here. So my problem with Dortmund and before Dortmund brought in Marco Rosa was Dortmund's build-up play is pretty pants. It's them in possession. You give them the ball, you can sit back and you can watch them. Even with Haaland, even with Bellingham, you can just watch and laugh most of the time. And it was the same under Lucien Favre. So my kind of thought was, why have they gone for a coach even more against possessional play and who even crashed the high intensity of Gladbach? But anything, Dortmund needs more intensity and also someone to kind of work their possessional play. So, first of all, I don't know why they didn't just go for Addy Hutter at the start. Because you knew Nagelsmann was going to end up at Bayern. And Addy Hutter just knows how to play against Nagelsmann. Probably because they're the same sort of... Actually, even Marco Rose is from the same sort of sphere, the RB world. But Adi Hutter knows how to beat Bayern. So that could have been point one. And also, it's good in both the um, high-intensity field and also in a bit more in possession. I know him under Gladbach has been woeful, but still, I think that this would have been a class fit. You've also got Edin Terzic sitting in like rubbing his hands as technical director. I mean, he won the DFB Pokal last season. He's all about that energy, emotion, and high intensity, and he did far better than I could have expected. If you're looking at other big names, Ten Hag comes up. I think I 
could see that is a good fit as well. Anyone else? I don't really think I can see. And also uh, Dortmund's second team coach, which I always forget the name of, is also seems to be in that kind of field that could do both and maybe down the line. I know some people will say Bo Svensson because mine's manager at Dortmund normally works and also has that RB field behind him, but I'm not quite sure of that just yet. I would personally go Adikota Ten Hag. Interesting. No, it's it, it, just a question I wanted to ask since you since you, since you brought it up and I haven't had the chance to, to talk with this about you before. <laughs> All right, uh, we got lots more to talk about. Of course, there's a whole stack of teams that we need to address their legitimacy. Let's just say, <laughs> uh, but we're going to do that after a short break. Here is part two of Talking Foosball Direct. It's uh, Matt Herman here with Jasmine Baba. Okay, so part two is where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 18, of course. Okay, we're going to talk about the fairly odd state of affairs in the Bundesliga, which is going on right now, just under the top two teams this season. A region of the table that I'm going to call the interchangeable clump. Uh, It's a whole stack of teams who really aren't up there in terms of points with Bayern and, I guess, to a lesser extent, Dortmund, but who are cut above the relegation scroungers, let's just say. Um, precisely which teams are in this group is a matter of debate. I think we probably will debate this. Uh, but for our purposes, my metric is going to be anybody who's in w- within one game, three points, of Europe, the top six. So we have Hoffenheim third place on 31 points, having beaten FC Augsburg uh, this weekend, 3-1. Freiburg on 30 points in fourth place after a 2-2 draw against Bielefeld. Fifth place, Leverkusen on 29 points after a draw against uh, now seventh place, Union. They're on 28 points, Union are. In between those two is Cologne, also on 28 points ahead of Union on, on goal difference. They're up to six Sixth place, they won 3-1 in Berlin over Hertha uh, on this match day. Frankfurt, who we mentioned, of course, earlier because they lost to Dortmund. They're on 27 points. They're in eighth place. And finally, RB Leipzig. They're now in ninth place on 25 points after a 4-1 win over Mainz. Now, if I was feeling charitable or you know wanted to paint outside the lines, I would have included Mainz, maybe. But if I include Mainz, who are on 24 points, which is more than one game out of Europe, you know, why not Bochum? On 23 points. Why not Gladbach on 22 points? Or Hertha on 21 points? Or Wolfsburg on 20 points? And you see where this is going because, yeah, Hertha, Gladbach, Wolfsburg are trash right now. So we can't talk about them. But we can talk about this, the clump, the teams and the clump. Basically, the top half minus the first two teams in the league. Do you have any sort of holistic, you know, galaxy brain take? things about the fact that we have this many teams that are all just sort of, you know, changing places over there on match day? Um, I think this is what you can expect to get when half the league changes their coach and maybe not have picked the greatest coach for their team, or some of them did. May have taken two tries. I mean, Wolfsburg and RB Leipzig, especially going changing one coach and thinking, ah, nah, and then changing again. It's hard to say anything because once you pinpoint that a team is good as well they suddenly lose to Bielefeld or draw to Bielefeld it's a lot of Bielefeld stopping them this few game weeks especially in the case of Freiburg and Leipzig so it's I I don't know (laughs) I don't know what to take from any of them I've not been too convinced by Leverkusen, I can tell you that every time I think Leverkusen have such a good squad as well, but the fact that they're not doing better is a worrying fact, and for everyone else, I can even tell you that I haven't even got any notes on Cone, because they're, in kind of statistical data, they're behind the rest of the bunch, so I thought, ah, you know, I'll leave them out, and now they're sick. Nothing makes sense, and it drives my brain mad. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I I look at this list and I see from Hoffenheim, Freiburg, Leverkusen, Cologne, Union, Frankfurt, Leipzig. The two teams that I trust the most are at the bottom of that list, which is to say Frankfurt and Leipzig. Like if if you had to ask me today which of those teams would join Bayern and Dortmund in the Champions League, I would tell you Frankfurt and Leipzig. Are you on a similar or different page? I'm going to really take a wild pun, and I'm going to go Hoffenheim and Leipzig. But I think Leipzig will challenge Dortmund. I think that's where they will be. I think now that Tedesco has had a winter break and some training with that squad, and we saw good signs with Leipzig um, for one win against Mainz, who don't let up. Mainz do not let up easily. If you look at, again, the statistical data, Leipzig has shot up to producing as much as Dortmund does, especially in um, not conceding many big chances and attacking very efficiently. So I think there is a very possible chance that Leipzig go on an amazing run and challenge for that second spot. Hoffenheim has a advantage by not being in Europe and that's also one that Berlin has also got now that they've come out of um, the Conference League. If you look at like past data and especially if you compare the Hinterlander to the Dirklander of the last two seasons, if you look at Leverkusen and Hoffenheim, they get more points when they're out of Europe. And those are the kind of, whoever gets further in the Europa League probably have more of a chance than the ones that stay back. So Eintracht Frankfurt always do better in the second half of the season, despite being in the Europa League. So just, although I don't think they'll reach the top four, I feel like they are good enough and Glass has got his kind of style of play instilled with those players now that they could come fifth again, which wouldn't be bad for them. But when we're talking about those top places, I honestly just think Hoffenheim, because they are so weirdly, there's nothing spectacular about them. There's just, there's no key players like RB Leipzig has, Frankfurt has, it's just really weird that they've done so well and I can't point them out against anything. So that's the only reason why I'm going Hoffenheim. All right. What gives you so much confidence in Leipzig? I mean, obviously they had a terrible start to the season. Obviously they <laughs> made a decision that one of the reasons for the terrible start was Jesse Marsh you know, for rightly, wrongly, whatever. But they are onto something better now. What makes you think, is is this basically just returning to the mean? Is this uh, Domenico Tedesco's magic wand? Is it Andre Silva finally remembering how to score? What, what makes you so confident about them? Probably all three. Tedesco is an amazing coach. I'm very upset that it didn't work out with Schalke when he was there. Um, I don't think it was all his fault there. He really loved Schalke as well and it was devastating for the events that happened to happen and I think Leipzig gives him everything that he needs and he's got a good squad on top of that. I mean if you see how Nkunku and Shuboshloi linked up and if Andre Silva last season's second highest top scorer now is getting back into his feet. I think you've got an unbeatable front three there. Um, one of the best front threes. And I think especially with how, not mediocre, but how competitive the rest of the league is. Um, they've you got can shiny. say it. The rest of the league's pretty mediocre. <laughs> Everyone's in a transition period. Let's go with that. I, I I think that they're in a really good standing to to um, make up that gap. They also have been quite unlucky. Maybe it's because, as you said, Andre Silva wasn't really finding his scoring, and now he's got completely new way of playing in that team. 
But if we take in like big chances created and big chances conceded compared to shots on goal conceded and made, if you they're right with Dortmund. If you do it on a time graph from the last few months into now, Dortmund and Leipzig are the same. And I don't think how many people know how significant that is after the start Leipzig had to get back to a Dortmund point of play where Dortmund create loads of chances and goals because of Haaland. To be on the same wavelength like they were last season under Nagelsmann is a big jump. And that's why I particularly have so much confidence in RB Leipzig. Hmm. Okay, let me, let me sort of spin things back the other way. We have, I think, at least three teams in Freiburg, Cologne, and Union Berlin who are probably outpacing most people's expectations of them. I think we've all adjusted our expectations at this point now, halfway through the season. We've seen that they are very capable teams who all play, you know, I don't know, a, a relatively simple brand of football, but play it very, very well. Do you have a particular lack of trust in any of those teams, teams that you feel like it's not going to be there for them come the end of the season when it comes to Europe? I feel like Freiburg will... Everyone loves Freiburg. I love Freiburg. But historically, in the second half of the season, despite having no European competition, they have less points than their first half of the season. I think their quality compared to the other teams around them, Frankfurt, Leipzig, even Union Berlin, I would say maybe has a little bit more talent that could overtake them. Union Berlin obviously has lost Alan Nigi to the African Cup of Nations. So we don't know how that will affect Berlin yet. So they could be on level um, pegging. And then that's that's the only reason why I think Freiburg might drop out. Um, I know Mainz has done extremely well and has been around that kind of European places, but I think, again, with them, it's their quality too. Um, they just don't score enough goals for me. And that's why I think those two out of all of them are the most likely to go down. And I also, I'm still scared about Leverkusen. Their stats aren't great, they have a good team. So I, and when I study them and I look at them and see them play, I can't figure out why they're bad. And that's annoying because there should be a reason that there is no reason. And those ones, if you don't know what you're doing wrong, I, I, I just don't know. It's like there's no one, no one's injury. The team is the same. Why are they not good? Why are they not good? I, I, and I can't explain to it tactically either. They just aren't good as the people around them yet. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. The, there's always time. There's always time. Okay, before we before we talk about um, the, the the games that involve basically teams that are in the the sub clump level, let's talk a little bit about transfer stuff. We had you know not a lot of action thus far in the January transfer window. I mean, Bundesliga teams being generally well run. <laughs> are kind of transfer averse in the January transfer window when there's a lot of dumb money getting spent. But there were some interesting moves, sort of, uh, I don't know, like uh, <laughs> my bad <laughs> moves being made, uh, such as uh, Christoph Piontek leaving Hertha going to Fiorentina, uh, Brian Brabi uh, going back to Ajax on loan, Michel Cuisance uh, leaving Bayern for good this time, to Venezia. I feel like in some ways January this year is turning into a kind of like, you know, taking out the trash. <laughs> I, I don't want to be too harsh on these players, but they just they were not good fits at the teams that they ended up at. I mean, I think Hertha is also trying to offload uh, Deovasio Seifauk and looks like he's going to Blackburn. There, there might be more in store of these players who were just sort of duds. Yeah, and I, I guess it, it, across Europe, I would say January is never that exciting. It, as, as far as summer, I think 
loads of people are just happy with their squads. Most of the time they're happy with their squads. So they just look for offloading more than taking in. Unless you're the bottom five and you need people known to really change up your team and push you back up. There's not that much interest. And it's normally rumors that are going to come in summer than anything else. I think the best thing to kind of focus on at this point in time is who's going to get sacked and what coach is going to come in, what coach's contracts are up. It tends to be more accurate than some of the transfers. Yeah, yeah, we did start thinking about that. Uh, maybe maybe we'll talk about that and we talk about our, our sub-clump games in a moment. There was one very exciting, very hype train filled transfer from the last week. That's, of course, uh, Ricardo Pepe uh, moving from FC Dallas to, lo and behold, FC Augsburg. Big money, very big money, something like 16 or 18 million euros. Transfer record for that club. Also, a bit of a strange one considering Augsburg's place in the league as, as a team who's much more relegation-threatened than European aspirant. I'm American. I like Ricardo Pepe. I like that he chose to play for us instead of Mexico. I've watched him play for the United States, although not very much in MLS because I don't watch that much MLS. I What I've seen of him, I like. I think he's good. I still think this is a complete head-scratcher of a move. What's your take as a probably somewhat less, you know, <laughs> thirsty viewer? It's not the fact that they bought Pepe. It's the fact that they spent a record signing fee for him. I mean, he could turn out to be amazing and be Augsburg's most clinical goal scorer, which they need goals. However, they need to actually create those goals, which is normally a whole structure setting. It's so much more to do with Oh, uh, here's one striker. I mean, unless you're Dortmund and you have Haaland or Bayern and Lewandowski, you kind of get my point. <laughs> Augsburg has not been good for some time, and I don't think it will take one striker which breaks the prank to change it. I don't know that much about Pepe. America's not a kind of continental football that I dive into very much, so I can tell you much about him. Um, he came on for 30 minutes against Hoffenheim, had around six touches and wasn't great for his first 30 minutes, but he only had two days to prepare. However, I don't know what to make of Augsburg's uh, manager, Weinzel. Um, I don't know what to make of Augsburg as a club. I feel that this signing was quite random and they need a lot more across the whole team than one striker that you need a lot of and that might also be a new coach too but we've been here before with Augsburg they're always flirting with relegation they never actually go down uh and I wouldn't be surprised if they don't go down and this is just a kind of play for the summer to build the team more that would be actually quite smart but for now yeah I'm with you a bit of a head scratcher yeah, I th- I thought he was fine in in the thirty minutes that I saw of him. I mean, I I turned on the Augsburg game for the second half <laughs> by choice. Oh no! <laughs> because of him, <laughs> uh, and you know, ultimately, I mean, people commented a fair bit about it. he he could have played Florian Niederlechner in uh, for for a pretty good goal scoring chance if he had been a bit more quick about it. Instead, Niederlechner was offside. If I was Ricardo Pepe, I would be very upset with Noah Joel Sarenran Bazi because that dude absolutely robbed Pepe of an excellent uh, goal scoring chance by playing with his food basically in midfield instead of releasing the ball uh, at a smart time, as well as taking a couple of shots from distance that were, you know, (laughs) a waste. But yeah, I mean, I feel like I would have been a lot more a lot more comfortable for Pepe in terms of his development and fit if he had actually ended up at Wolfsburg. I mean, Wolfsburg are in a dire state in a lot of ways, but like, let's face it, their squad is a million times better than Augsburg's. I think in terms of, you know, a like-for-like situation, you know, if if Wout Weichhorst is on his way out either this January or in the summer, I mean, Pepe's a pretty good 
replacement for that. Whereas Augsburg just don't have a player of his of his type. I mean, you know, it's he's basically a completely different type of player thrown into there. But yeah, okay. Wolfsburg decided to get cheap at the last minute and got outbid by Augsburg. And eh, maybe it's going to come back to bite them as well. We still have to talk about Wolfsburg. Let's talk about Wolfsburg. They're one of the two sub-clump games this week. They lost 1-0 at Bochum. Milos Pantovic scored a second-half winner in that one. That's about the, That was the only goal of the game. Wolfsburg now six games on the trot. Losers. What is their damn problem? Oh, a lot of things, and it's quite hard to say the exact problem with them. A lot of it could be what Mark Van Bommel did over his summer. Um, he was definitely not the right fit for Wolfsburg, and it's if um, Florian Kofel is the manager to pick up those pieces. Managers and coaches who have trouble completely in organizing a squad, training a squad, preparation with the squad for a couple of months can affect that squad for quite a while. And I think we have seen that with Wolfsburg. Then you have to take in the kind of person and the kind of coach Florian Kofel is. Is his philosophy of football one that really in fits Wolfsburg to get them back to their prime quickly? Probably not. His kind of style of play is very static. One of his footballing principles is um, only one player in the wing zone at any given time, which is just a very static version of um, possessional play. And it's just built up all these problems. And then you have to take into account that I don't think Wolfsburg players are the best attitude players. We've already talked about about Vekhorst probably wanting to leave. There's been a few um, talks about a few defenders wanting to leave and that's not the kind of personality or attitude that you want trying to rebuild a squad if they all want to leave. Now we're being told the line that if Kofeld loses against Harter next week, um, he's out of there and people like Kovac are in and I don't even think if that is an answer. So it, it's just a number of problems with style, fit, players, everything that could go wrong there is going wrong. And you need someone who's so prepared, so even emotional to turn those group of players around. Because right now, who will want any of those players if they're throwing up an attitude of not wanting to be there? And you just saw it again today against Botham. Um, and it's just not a great result. They've actually scored less goals than Augsburg this season. Ouch. Ouch. Because, you know, along with uh, the arrival of... Uh, Ricardo Pepe, there was so much talk about Augsburg's lack of goals, the fact that they had only scored 17 goals in 17 games, and to know <laughs> that Wolfsburg are just as poor. <laughs> in fact, now that Augsburg managed a goal <laughs> in their game, uh, they're, they're a goal behind. That's that's pathetic. Okay, one last game, which doesn't really bear a lot of discussion, but maybe maybe a little uh, tidbit here or there. I mean, Fürth and uh, Stuttgart they played, nobody scored, point of peace, blah, 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 kind of a bummer. However, Sasha Kolodzic, who had been basically out the entire Hinrunde, played 90 minutes. Obviously, it wasn't enough to give Stuttgart the necessary edge to get three points out of this game, but I'm pretty psyched that he's, uh, he's back in action. I feel like, you know, Stuttgart's a team I want to keep around if I can help it, and maybe, maybe that's going to do something for him. Yeah, I've... Really missed um, Kalicic too. I think I, th I had so much hopes for him during the Euros, and that just went to absolute out the window. Let's say, but oh, but he had that the, that beautiful goal where he was <laughs> he was like he's about yeah. six inches off the ground with his head. <laughs> I may have had him uh, as a bet for top scorer, but we'll forget about that. Um, nice. No. So, uh, Stuttgart have had so many problems this season, especially with 
um, clothes being messing and we finally got to the winter break thinking, ah, oh, you know, this Silas is back, Kalicic is going to be back, this is now the return of the Stuttgart that we know and love that can challenge for Europe. And then they have, and then, and then... It's on. Goalless draw with Fiat. And, it, you know, you've had so many, you had Karazor out, you had Silas out, um, I think with COVID, COVID, they've got quite a few cases of COVID. Whenever I go and check, it just says illness or anything that says illness, I'm going to take as COVID. So, and Mavropanos, who's been a rock for them, was out, Sanko out. So, um, yeah, I think they're doing as best as they can. A point is a point. Okay, it was against Fart. Most people win against Fart, but you just have to scrape as many points as you can to get out of that little rut of the relegation. Um, I still have complete faith in Matt Arazzo and the kind of structure he puts in Stuttgart. It's just, it's not been his um, year in terms of personnel and keeping them fit, healthy. It happens. Okay, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Uh, really, really cool to have you over from your usual spots on uh, Talking Foosball Extra Aufstieg edition, Jasmine. Thank you for having me once again. Really good fun. You were brilliant, but that's nothing less than I expected. You can follow her on Twitter, if you like, at Jasmine underscore BH1. If you want to contact me over there, I'm uh, at Mr. Matt Herman. Uh, anything you'd like to plug? I mean, I, I read your uh, sort of get ready for the second half of the season dealio on, on Deutsche Welle, which I, I enjoyed. Yeah, I'll have an exciting new project coming out in the coming weeks. And as always, you can find me at Deutsche Welle at the end of every month as well. Dynamite. All right, uh, well, Talking Football Fantasy, we'll be back uh, getting you ready for the weekend, for, for match day 19, towards the end of the weekend. Uh, don't forget that Scandal series. It continues this week on Patreon. Check it out. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Y'all.